Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Not Your African Cliché. Before we get into today's episode though, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher, where we are Not Your African Cliché, as well as SoundCloud, where we are NYAC Podcast. Don't forget to reach out to us on social media, Facebook, we are Not Your African Cliché, Twitter, at NYAC Podcast, and Instagram, NYAC underscore podcast. You can also email us at notyourafricancliche at gmail.com. Now, enjoy the rest of the episode. Another episode of Not Your African Cliche. Thanks for tuning in this time. My name is Ify, and I'm here with my wonderful co-host as well as a guest, but I'll hold on before introducing her. Hey everyone, this is Amayo. Hi, this is Ife. Hey guys, this is Onyeka, aka Yeka O. Yay, and we have a wonderful, amazing, charismatic guest oh, with us today. So serious. would you like to introduce yourself hi everyone my name is nancy adimora Mm -hmm. and who are you so that the folks who have not caught up to your greatness (laughs) Um, i'm the founding editor of afrida which is an online literary magazine that showcases short stories from emerging writers across africa yeah So on today's episode, I wanted us to just have a fun um, conversation, A, about Afrida, learning more about Afrida, um, the story behind it, also speaking about your identity as a Nigerian Londoner, um, but also having a conversation about books because that's that's my passion. So I could do that 24-7. But just to kick off, can you please tell us um, essentially why you started at Frida and how you started at Frida? Okay, it's like my favorite topic to discuss, right? So, um, <laughs> why I started at Frida? Well, it was basically like two different things. Like you say that you're obsessed with, you know, African literature and books, in, maybe in general. And I was absolutely mm-hmm. obsessed as well, you know? And so I was going mm-hmm. through a period where. I actually realized I didn't have the the luxury of time to kind of spend on one entire book, right? And I was mm. doing a lot of commuting um, kind of for work and I was coming across short stories, so short story collections and books. And I love the fact that like I can be on the Piccadilly line, I can be in one journey, be transported to Kenya and be back in time to get off at my stop. It's just so weird. I think that's the power of stories. So I love the quick and fast paced nature of them. I loved how quick, how easy it was to kind of dip in and dip out of different stories. And that's, I think, mm. when I started appreciating the the art form of short stories and what short stories were and how short stories could fit into my lifestyle. And so kind of mm. coupled with that, kind of that period where I was going through this love of short stories, I was coming across like really incredible stories on people's personal blogs. So like maybe somebody's a, an engineer by day, 
but by night they kind of write and they have a blog and they kind of have amazing stories on their blog. And I realized that nobody was reading it. Nobody knew where to find these stories. So I think that's where Frida came from, this, this need to kind of connect readers or connect people who are interested in these stories to kind of the writers who were writing them and who might not necessarily fall into the the traditional title of a writer or an author. So yeah, that's how Afrida mm. started. Um, yeah. When did you start it? So, so it's one of those things where you have the idea, right? So it's, does it start when you have the idea or does it start when you set up a website? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, I, so I feel like if me being me and me believing in the power of ideas, it started kind of 2014, you know? I always tell this mm. story that I'm a part of uh, something called TEDx Houston, which is basically a TED talk that's focused on African ideas worth spreading, right? And so in 2014, we had a pledge wall where everybody had to go up to this wall and write what they were going to do for the continent. And so in 2014, mm. I had had this idea for Afrida. It was, it was something that was was so alive in my spirit, you know. I've always had these different entrepreneurial ideas, but Afrida stood out for me. And so I just picked up a Sharpie pen and I just wrote Afrida on that wall. And I think the beauty of it was that exactly a year after, a year after I wrote Afrida on the wall, that's when we launched. So that was in 2015, December. So I feel that mm. it, it, started in, it started in 2015, December, but it had started a long time before that, if that makes sense. Mm. That's amazing. How has Afrida changed since, you know, you started in 2015? Because I know usually you have an idea of how something is going to look. Mm -hmm. And then it starts out that way. And somewhere along the line, it becomes even either better or it gets derailed or it just changes and becomes more mature. So in what ways has Afrida um, evolved? I think it's kind of... Basically, when I started Afrida and when I kind of toyed with the idea of starting a literary magazine, I realized that I didn't have a literary background. Right. So I didn't study English in school or, you know, I didn't I didn't know about literature in the technical sense. So I had this this feeling that I had to see what was out there. I had to see the platforms that were out there. And Mm. I had Afrida had to be seen as authentic and also it had to be seen as worthy right so I didn't want people mm-hmm. to look at other platforms and think oh yeah this is no this is legit this is a real thing oh free there's a game right and so I think mm-hmm. that pressure on myself meant that I was looking at other platforms um as opposed to kind of inspiration I saw them as kind of okay so they're doing it this way that means that I have to do it this way that means that my submission um criteria has to look exactly like this I think um it, it comes from time and it comes from confidence in what you're doing is that you start mm-hmm. to kind of carve a niche for yourself because I feel like kind of a Frida isn't, isn't literature. Like of course it's literature, but it's not, it's not about the technicalities of writing. It's about mm-hmm. the beauty mm-hmm. of storytelling. It's about stories. Mm-hmm. Right. Ooh, and I had to, that's a good call. Oh, can we click? Can we all click at the same time? Let's click. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I yes, but I had to be confident in in myself and in the vision and what what I was trying to do with Afrida. So I think that all came with time. You know, initially I always say that I started with saying, okay, so it's a literary magazine, so we have to have everything. We have to have essays, we have to have poetry, we have to have 
you know, um, thought pieces. And then I realized, well, you know, the whole reason for me starting a freedom is because I was in love with short stories, short fictional mm. stories, you know? So that's, that's all we do for now. We do short stories. And I think that has formed a part of our niche, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And you said we, when you say we, who's, who's the we? Okay, so it's Nancy, it's the Holy Spirit, it's God. <laughs> <laughs> Come on in yeah. here, saints. <laughs> I'm taking y'all to church, man. <laughs> so basically, um, even I'm weird in the fact that when I had the idea for a Frida, like when it was literally just Nancy and her brain, it was always we, because I feel it's mm. so important to kind of see ideas as bigger than yourself, you know? Mm. And when I, when I started the project, I was very reluctant to put my face to it. So mm. um, even when I was speaking at events, I would say, don't put me down as the founding editor, just put me down as the editor. Cause I didn't want people to associate Nancy with a Frida because that means that a Frida can only be as big as Nancy, if that makes sense. So. Mm-hmm. it's the whole we the whole we is basically indicative of the fact that it is so much bigger than me and it doesn't stop with me and I'm basically the trustee I'm the person who kind of helps it grow to what it needs to be as opposed to you know the owner and you know yeah everything to do with the Frida if that makes sense mm. yeah girl <laughs> oof in your own words, like, why would you say Afrida is relevant? Relevant? Why would you say African literature is relevant? Um, I think African literature is, is um, it's so relevant. Okay, let me give you an example, right? So recently we posted a story that is called Vernacular. Like, if you haven't read it, read it, you have to go and read it. It's basically a very short story that is, is set against the fact that somebody's trying to communicate something in a classroom, but they're not allowed to speak Igbo in the classroom, right? So she's mm-hmm. having trouble saying it in English, but she knows exactly what she wants to say, right? And mm. for me, that story was the most hilarious story, right? But it was also a very powerful story. And the reason it was so hilarious was because of the Igbo that was interwoven into the story. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And I feel mm-hmm. like there's there is a way that we interact with stories on a deeper level when we can see ourselves on the pages, you know, when we can see words yeah. written down and we can identify with it, you know? So I think African yeah. literature is, it's important because it's a mirror with which we can see ourselves in, if that makes sense. I say mm-hmm. if that makes sense all the time, even though I know it kind of <laughs> does make sense. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, it's, yeah. Mm, and so why is Afrida relevant? Okay, so Afrida mm. is relevant because we don't we don't try to we don't stick to the technicality of writing. Does that make sense? I'm on mm. this kind of campaign of, you know, African literature doesn't have to be literary fiction. And by that I mean that it doesn't have to be, you know, the the sentences doesn't have to be, you know, stylishly written, you know, it doesn't have to be about redressing a social ill in society. It can literally just be mm. about stories. And I think what Afrida's trying to do is trying to make storytelling just so easy, you know, where you can mm. sit down and write a story about absolutely everything, you know, everything and anything. It can be funny, it can be not so funny. And I think it's what the power of a Frida is like kind of in the name. So a Frida is basically a culmination of Africa and Rida. And it's trying to 
pick out individuals who might not ordinarily call themselves readers, but who might not mind if they come across a link on Twitter, just clicking it and reading something for eight minutes, you know? So what mm-hmm. it's trying to do is just broaden the audience of people who interact with stories and just make it more accessible to everyone. Mm. That's a great vision. Because yeah. I know a lot of people who enjoy, you know, who wouldn't mind reading, but the thought of reading a book, you know, kind yeah. of intimidates them. So getting them, sneaking them pieces and, you know, getting them hooked on short stories is a very good strategy. Nice. <laughs> um, quick question, Yika, over here. Um, do you then get some type of backlash from people who are like, no, African literature needs to be this like people who don't necessarily agree with this whole idea of it doesn't have to be you know the most stylishly written piece of work like as long as it's you know relevant and talking about the continent yeah I feel like there's elitism in African literature but I feel like there's elitism in kind of every industry or you know every stream of you know literature across the world I feel that some people the thing with African literature or the thing that with spaces that used to exist, I feel is that mm. the people who were consuming the stories, so the people who were like going on the website to read the stories were writers themselves, right? So there were mm. people who were trying to improve their craft. So there were people who, you know, wanted to go to a website and, you know, see a certain standard that they could aspire to. Whereas a Frida is more of, we want everyone to just come on the website and just just read a story. You know, it's, it's nothing mm. more than come on the website and read a story. So I feel that there's some individuals who might come across a Frida and feel that, you know, this isn't, it's not the platform for them, but that's absolutely fine because I think that's that's the beauty of the fact that so many different platforms exist. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can mm-hmm. come on a, free, on a free day, you can appreciate some things, but if you feel like your work is better served on a different platform, then that's absolutely fine as well. Mm-hmm. And so I know that um, Afrida accepts um, pieces from writers across the continent so my i'm wondering what country has had the most you know have you received the most submissions from and then what country do you feel like you've received the least or you know you haven't received any submissions but it's on your heart that you received submissions from that country if that makes sense it makes perfect sense so in terms of the country that i've received the most from everyone on this podcast knows the answer to that so i might just skip over <laughs> <laughs> it is i love nigeria where we receive i would say you know 97.983 percent of all our stories come from nigeria which oh, wow. makes perfect sense if you actually think about it it makes sense because we have a, a very rich literary tradition you know so mm. writing is seen as something that people aspire to um but i've been quite i've been quite impressed with like the different countries that we've had stories from like you know madagascar um sudan mm. we've had ethiopia tanzania um things like that. But I think it's only after I started Afrida, I started seeing mm. some of the issues with Afrida in that we are an English publication, right? Mm-hmm. And so in doing mm. so, you cut off Francophone Africa, Lucifer Africa, you've absolutely cut off. So we have brilliant people who are writing, you know, in Mozambique, in, you know, um, in Senegal, you know, in Angola, who literally Afrida isn't even an option for them. Because mm-hmm. it's not that they don't have a story to tell, but 
but it's that the language exactly exactly so I think it's always it's always at the back of my mind how can we open this up because one of the reasons why I really champion a freedom why I really kind of love the power of stories is that it enables us to travel you know I'm very I'm very pan-African in my outlook so you know although I'm Nigerian I I want to learn about you know everyday life in Angola you know Mm -hmm. and so it's very important for me to kind of find a way of how we can open this up whether it's through translation I think that's an option we have um, had some of our works translated and that works well so I think it's about exploring different options but but yeah there's a lot of work to do basically um, this is Ife. So one of the things we've talked about in the past is like the amount of actual work that goes into bringing, moving an, moving something from an idea stage into fruition, into tangibility. So can you talk more about like the, your process of making a Frida exist outside your head? Yes, I think I think that's a brilliant question. Like, I think because so many people are at the idea stage but it's actually mm-hmm. the next the next part of it right and it mm-hmm. as easy as it sounds the whole just start is so important you know there was times I remember that I was in the office maybe there was a conference call happening all I was doing was kind of on a notepad just writing a Frida out on a mm-hmm. piece of paper and it sounds so simple to say but the second you write a Frida out it exists outside of you like it's on a paper it it kind of it's it's almost more tangible than it was when it was just in your head, okay? Mm-hmm. And from there, you start in, in very kind of small steps. Set up yeah. a WordPress website, which is free of charge, you know? Yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's literally exactly what I've done. So I said, you know what? I don't know what I'm waiting for. I had decided, so Afrida, so for example, I told you that I wrote it down in 2014, right? Mm -hmm. And so during the year, I was kind of, I had it, but there was no sense of urgency. And it's only when I said, okay, by December the 5th, 2015, when I had given myself that deadline, because I wanted it to coincide with the one year anniversary, Mm -hmm. then you suddenly have something to work towards. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes you have to give Mm -hmm. yourself deadlines. I think that is Mm -hmm. so important. And then you just, I just literally just set up a WordPress account. And then I invited people to kind of submit to a Frida. And whilst I was doing that, I had set up social media accounts. And it's literally, you just have to just be engaging on Twitter. You have to interact with, you know, different, um, different handles or different organizations who are doing similar things um, to you, who have a similar audience, audience to you, and just kind of make noise. Even if you don't have content, there's content all over the internet, you know? Mm. So before you know it, you have 100 followers and you have people who are sending submissions. And the second somebody sends a submission to you, a Frida is no longer yours. A Frida belongs to them. A Frida belongs to a community, you know? So I think mm-hmm. we just need to just sow seeds and it starts from kind of picking up a pen, getting a piece of paper and writing the idea down. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's my... Bringing the word. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I was about to say, you, you would make a great motivational speaker. <laughs> I mean, I guess you already are. <laughs> like, I feel so empowered. Like, I just want to start something. Like, <laughs> Do so it. Funny. Yeah. Okay, so my question, I'll try and keep it short. So um, so when you are stuck, because I feel like sometimes when you want to something, 
you feel like okay there's something else out there they're doing pretty much the same thing so with brittle paper that we um i mean we've had the founder on our on our podcast did you ever feel like oh you know this is kind of like you know what i want to do as well did you ever feel like that was competition and how did you distinguish afrida um from brittle paper or how have you been able to do that I think that's a really like solid question. So I think like with everyone who kind of comes up with an idea, you're like, oh wow, I have landed, right? And then the first thing you the first thing you do, you go on Google and you try to see if there's anything else that kind of exists like that. And so mm-hmm. I think when I had the idea for Afrida, I hadn't come across Brittle Paper or any of the other kind of online reviews, right? Because mm-hmm. in se- I mean that I was a reader, but I wasn't within the African literary community. Does that make sense? Yeah, I wasn't within yeah, the ecosystem. Yeah. I was reading, I was just a black girl in North London who liked to read as opposed to somebody mm-hmm. who's plugged in, right? And right. so yeah. and so when I had done my research, that's when I came across Brittle Paper. And I'm not going to lie, like I saw Brittle Paper. I was like, you know what? They're doing it. Boom. It's fine. Because I'm one of the, I'm one of, I'm, a part of the kind of school of thought that if you see an individual who is doing something that you you want to do and they're doing it well, there's no point reinventing the world. You know what I mean? It already exists. Mm-hmm. If you really want to get involved, then you kind of maybe send them an email and say, listen, like, how can I assist with your vision? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of, you, I was interacting with Brittle Paper and I was taking in a lot of what they were doing. I think Brittle Paper is a fantastic platform, particularly for people who want to be writers. It has it has a lot of kind of information, not just short stories, but it has poetry. It kind of has kind of mm-hmm. gossip about the African literary scene, which mm-hmm. is absolutely brilliant. But I personally, Nancy Edimora, black girl in North London who was reading books, I didn't necessarily want, I didn't want to know who was going to win the next Kane Prize personally Mm -hmm. because I just wanted to read stories right Mm -hmm. so I wasn't kind of all poetry I didn't really engage with poetry I can't you can say you know wallpaper white wet and I'll be like oh yeah that's sweet that's sweet (laughs) (laughs) yo like that's not my that's not my sphere of influence that's not my world, you know? So I knew mm-hmm. that I wanted a way to filter all of this down to just short stories, just something I can quickly go on the website, find a story, read it, get off the website, you know? So mm-hmm. I think that it's That's important, real. it's important when you're coming up with an idea to really identify your niche, really identify your mm-hmm. unique selling point, you know? Something that you can take away and say, okay, Brittle Paper are doing exceptionally well with this. Let me Mm. see how I can, you know, go after this, you know. So Mm -hmm. I think right now I'm so confident in in what a Frida does. I don't see any like British paper. I don't see it as competition at all. You know, somebody asked me the other day, you know, does a Frida do poetry? I said, we don't do poetry, but British paper are amazing and they do poetry, you know. Mm. So it's not a sense of competition Mm -hmm. because you're confident in what you're doing. And at the end of the day, it's storytelling. It's stories, you know. So, (laughs) yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is, if I just want to add to that about, you know, there's enough room under the sun for everybody to shine, you know. There's like, Mm -hmm. like, the continent is big. It is yeah. 54 countries, so many languages, so many. So every there's room for all of us to shine. We shouldn't feel like there's a, you know, shortage of space or whatever. Absolutely. Like, you know, mm-hmm. and, and another, just, oh, sorry, can I just ahead. quickly add to that? Sorry. 
um, just the idea of when you have an idea, sometimes you can identify the idea as coming from you, right? But when you kind of feel that the idea has been literally given by something else, the idea doesn't even make sense. The fact that I'm kind of working within the African literary space, it it makes no sense, you know, based on my background and what I was supposed to be doing in my head, you know? So sometimes I feel like when you have an idea and when you're so convicted about the idea that you literally just have to go for it and you can't, you can't afford to like question because questioning just wastes time, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I saw something on Twitter. This is Ife. I saw something on Twitter about, you know, Rihanna's Fenty Beauty. And if there there are makeup brands that have done, you know, 40 plus shades. But if Rihanna has been like, oh, everybody's doing makeup. Oh, I'm not doing makeup, you know, because everybody is doing it. She didn't say that. She's still, you know, she was like, you know, I have a product to sell. I have a vision for this product. This is what I want it to be. And she still went out and did it. And is doing amazing and has got everybody shook in the <laughs> beauty industry so yeah don't yeah. fret not if if some people are already doing what you're interested in doing do your mm-hmm. thing put your spin on it find your niche and go for it exactly yeah this is if and you know nobody can do something the way you would do it mm. yeah okay. so that's one other thing to keep in mind to those listening um nancy could you speak to your identity as a nigerian londoner um i know that's something that we had talked about earlier via email and you felt passionate about it yeah Um, say more (laughs) it's i think it's an interesting one um yeah just I think just the the whole idea of kind of being from two places but not really being from either either place if that makes sense um I think in terms of whether I had to so if anyone asked me where I'm from right that the Mm -hmm. answer will always be Nigeria like I would Mm -hmm. never I would never think to say I'm British I'm from London other than if it was a scenario where people were asking me based on my accent, right? Because you clearly know why they're asking you. But I think the whole Nigerian side of me, I'm, yeah, I'm very aware of the fact that I'm Nigerian, right? But I think Mm -hmm. it's only recently that I I started kind of accepting the fact that London has played such a crucial part in what it means to be Nancy and what, and how I see the world. It's It's a really kind of, it's such a, in, deep issue that it's difficult to articulate sometimes but um mm-hmm. but but yeah so it's, it's something that you always kind of not struggle with but you always have mm-hmm. to like socially navigate your way through the world you know mm-hmm. and this yeah. idea and... of go on carry on no go on Sorry. yeah so it's just it's so I'm just gonna kind of tell you a story about kind of what happened was that we used to go to Nigeria every year. So my sister and I, so basically before school finished, we were on a plane to Nigeria and we would come back after school started because my mum's an absolute boss and she doesn't care. Also, (laughs) we would be in the playground when we've just come back from like 10 to 11 weeks in Nigeria with our tans and our braids, you know, and we'd be having our fake Nigerian accents because we were so, we were just so proud to be from a country called Nigeria, right? Mm-hmm. And we knew that we were from Nigeria. And this this idea that you come from Nigeria, although you live in London, was really instilled in us from a really young age. To the extent mm-hmm. that, you know, there was one time we were in Mr. Biggs and Anisha, and me and my sister were talking. And, you know, a woman kind of 
moved closer to us and she was like, oh my God, you're from London. And me and my sister were looking at each other because we were confused. How can she ask us if we are from London? And so I think it was probably my sister or me who turned to her and said, okay, we're from Nigeria, but we live in London, you know? And this is five, this is five-year-olds and a six-year-old, you know, who has that clear sense of identity. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, I'd say. It wasn't until I came to the States for college and met other people um, <laughs> who, and I've heard the term referred to as like a hyphenated identity. Oh. So there's that hyphen there. And so interacting with people who, you know, were, I don't know, Ghanaian this, Nigerian this, Indian this, and had essentially had their foot in either culture in mm-hmm. in two cultures essentially or more actually you know some people had ha- belong to more than two countries or cultures um i didn't understand what it meant what it means to be in that space mm-hmm. until i met people who had that identity and also read mm-hmm. about it and there's always this presence of tension between both Mm. and usually there's sometimes there's shame Mm -hmm. so hearing you talk about being proud and saying you know i'm from nigeria but i live here it's not something i hear often Mm -hmm. um and it's not something i see often you know or when i speak with people who are adults they didn't always have that some people came to that later in life Mm. um and some people never have it at all um so i guess i wonder why that's different for you I feel like the reason it's different is basically a lot of it has to do with the fact that I'm from London, right? I'm in the UK mm-hmm. and, you know, the whole, the fact that there's the whole African-American versus African thing has a lot to do with it, you know? Mm. So like amongst me and my friends, there's no really, there's no hyphenation. So we wouldn't say, oh, I'm British Nigerian. If somebody mm. asks you where you're from, the answer is Nigeria, you know? Mm-hmm. And there was, so I, I'm not alone in this sense of pride. I need you to come yeah. to my secondary school in North London on the 1st of October and see, come and see green and white flags <laughs> all over the place. Like we, we, are sh- we are shameless about it because I think mm-hmm. the, the nature of it is that, you know, like, so for in, in, my, in my case, like my grandparents were, came to London, but in most people's cases, like their parents were the first people who came to London and then they're like first generation, right? So although you interact, it's what I mean by social navigation, right? Although you kind of come to school and you, you adopt different, different personas in school, when you go home, like there's, I don't know, there's frozen stew in containers. Do you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. there's, there's your mum's making you Gary. Like we are so, we're so aware of what it means to be Nigerian, but it's interesting because like so for me right like I said I used to go back to Nigeria every year so nobody could Mm. tell me nothing about Nigeria like I was as Nigerian Mm. as it comes you know like if you want to kind of kill a chicken for the Ufaku like I was down with that you know what I mean (laughs) so but it was but it was interesting for me because when I went to uni and that's when I started like interacting with you babes right so people who mm-hmm. were born and or born and raised or if not born had spent the you know formative their formative years maybe in lagos right mm-hmm. and so they have now descended on my university and are trying to take my crown because oh my whereas, <laughs> i 
like you've, you've killed me. You've actually killed me. Like, whereas I thought that I was like, you know what I mean? I was queen. I knew everything. Mm. Suddenly, oh, y'all mm. come with your sexy accents and stuff. And it's, and it's that kind of, that period for me was really interesting because I had to kind of question how Nigerian I was, even though... Mm. Even though I'm confident about it, suddenly if people are talking about, oh yeah, you know that, you know um, that place in Lekki, and I'm like, I don't know the place in Lekki. What does that mean? <laughs> does that mean that I'm not authentic? Do you know what I mean? But mm. I think it's, mm. I think now, of course, I just have to understand that there's not one thing. Like being mm-hmm. Nigerian does not mean one thing. Even the Nigerians right. who are in Nigeria, like there's different mm. expressions of what it means to be Nigerian. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, it's an interesting one. That's great. Um, yeah. Go ahead, Ifa. This is Ifa. So, we've talked about your Nigerian heritage and your Nigerian-ness. How, you know, Brit- because you are British, right? Mm. You have a British citizenship. Mm. You live in you live in England. Um, how British do you feel, if at all? Like, what's your connection to Britain and how do you feel so you I know, am. About, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, <laughs> um, I am. I am British, right? In mm-hmm. that, that is my citizenship. So I have a British passport, right? Mm-hmm. I am also Black British because to be Black British means means something for me. It's a kind of culture unto itself. I'm mm-hmm. also a Londoner because I interact with London. London is my city. I absolutely love London, right? I am not English. you know what I mean which is Mm -hmm. which is which is really interesting so I see English as kind of a nationality whereas to say I'm English Mm -hmm. kind of comes into conflict with my claim to be Nigerian it's it's a it's a weird it's a weird thing so for me how it makes sense in my head is that if we're talking about citizenship which is matter of fact then I am British Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. but when it comes to where I'm from and nationality and how how, what I think I am as a human being, then if I had to choose, then it would be Nigerian. Because for me, it comes to the fact that if there was a magazine article, right? A magazine article that says 10 things that you will see in an English wedding, I wouldn't be able to identify <laughs> with any. I wouldn't know what they're talking about, you know? Mm-hmm. But I can be in London and you see 10 things that will happen in a Nigerian wedding. I'm ticking all of them off. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I, think, I think that's kind of how I see myself personally. Yeah. Cool. Hey, this is Amayo. Um, but I was just saying, <laughs> I was just saying how it's funny because yesterday somebody asked me like, "What does it mean to be like? What does it mean to me to be a Nigerian woman? Like being a Nigerian woman?" Mm-hmm. I still haven't answered her yet because I I, I don't know because I mean question. yeah and like kind of what um, Nancy was saying like there, it doesn't mean one thing. Um, Yeka over here, and it's just really interesting to think of authenticity and how we define like what is an authentic Nigerian experience or who is an authentic Nigerian, um, like as if we are a monolith. And so it's just really funny. Um, and we kind of had a little discussion earlier, but like how your accent is like a defining factor for how authentic of a Nigerian that you are like your lived experiences or your name doesn't you know show how authentically nigerian that you are so it's just a really interesting 
construct of how especially i think even nigerians themselves how we define another nigerian as being authentic or not mm. yeah. yeah and this is if anyone and it's it's i wrote i wrote it down because authenticity is something that came up also in college like who gets to say like regardless of identity or whatnot like who gets to define what is authentic mm. um and who who has who has the claim on that <laughs> <laughs> um but one question I do have is because you mentioned you were born and raised in London, yeah? Mm, yeah. So how has that shaped your essentially who you are and how you see the world? Because it's something you mentioned and I was just keen to hear you say more about that. Um, I don't know. I, I really don't know how to approach that question. Like how London has, has shaped me. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's the same as how Nigeria has shaped you. I feel that it's kind of, it's, it just contributes to who you are as a person, as opposed to me being able to say, you know, the fact that I like wearing trainers was because I was born in London and in London, the people around me wore trainers, you know? I don't think I can itemize it in that way. I feel like me growing up in London can't be separated from me growing up with a Nigerian mother, you know, because my my experience of London has been, mm. has been informed by my, my understanding that I'm Nigerian. So the way I navigate my, myself in London is different from how my Caribbean friends will navigate themselves in London, if that makes sense. So I don't know if I probably didn't answer your question. But, no, um, but that's, I mean, that's I guess not every question necessarily has an answer. Yes. And maybe for me, because I've lived in two, like, I've lived in, I spent 18 years in Nigeria, my first 18 years in Nigeria. Now I've lived in Massachusetts and I've lived in Michigan Mm. and I can speak specifically, specifically to how my experience in the States has changed me. Mm. And so for me, I guess it's easy for me to be able to answer that question. Whereas like maybe for you, it's, it's, it sounds like it's not as easy. Yeah. Because it's all I know as well. Mm -hmm, So I think mm -hmm, if I kind of mm -hmm. had that that I've lived somewhere yeah. for a couple of years, you know, I could have yeah. that added perspective, but yeah. That's real. That's real. Um, I know when I heard you speak on Mostly Lit, I loved how passionate you immediately became when you talked about being Igbo. <laughs> so I just, I just want you to give it to us on this here. platform. <laughs> and for our listeners, just speaking to how passionately you feel about being Igbo. And I remember you mentioned like half of the yellow sun, like that sparking, maybe, I don't know if it sparked it or you know, yeah. find it, you know, so speak to that. Um, that's, that's so funny. Um, I feel like I've just got this, this absolute love for my language and this absolute, I love the fact that, so I can be on a bus, you know, and we can, my mum might not want everyone to hear what she's saying. So she can say it in our language and I can communicate back in our language. I think that's such a beautiful thing. And so I think mm. I've always been, been conscious of the fact that I am Nigerian, but I'm Ibo as well, if that makes sense. Mm. And I think what you said about stories and, you know, Half of Yellow Sun and the role of Tumar Chebe, that was absolutely, you know, a, a core, a core part in how, in how I identify myself as a Nigerian. Mm. I think like Nigeria is such a, it's such, it's such an interesting country. I love Nigeria. I'm so proud to be Nigerian. But I think it's sometimes it's so interesting 
how we we all call ourselves Nigerian, knowing that being Nigerian means so many different things that it almost doesn't mean anything, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. So, for example, like I would go to like Yoruba parties, um, and I would kind of I would I would watch and I would look in admiration, and you know somebody's screaming something in Yoruba, I know it's banter because everyone's laughing, right? And I look <laughs> and I look and I love and I'm like, wow, this I love I love the vibe, but I don't look as if it's mine. I look as yeah. if you could be from a totally different country. You know, you mm. could, you could like, it's just that they, we all call ourselves Nigerian, you know? Mm-hmm. But other than that, there is nothing, there is, I can't necessarily engage with you on that level, which is, mm-hmm. which is interesting. So, so yeah, I'm very, I'm very proud to be Ibo and stuff. I think it comes across on Twitter when like one out of every three tweets has some kind of like, you know, one Ibo. I just have to Ibo. drop it in. I need Ibo, everyone to yes. know, you know. <laughs> I see it. I see it, girl. I see it. Yeah. Because it's true. We speak so... And I'm reading this... I just finished reading this book and um, the journalist was writing an article about the Chibok girls and it mentions the language that they speak mm. and I literally did not even recognize mm. the language. I like, think... I mean, it didn't even register. Like, I was like, I don't know. I didn't even know this was a language. Mm. I think what's interesting about it is that kind of... But I have cousins who grow up in Lagos, right? And they can't mm-hmm. speak Igbo. So they can't... They can't speak or understand the language right and so these mm-hmm. are my Ibo cousins for example and they interact with their Yoruba friends or their friends from anywhere and they equally can't speak the language so it's kind of this this idea that language is what separates us I think in mm. in places like Lagos it's becoming less and less yeah. of an issue because people are mm-hmm. interacting with English you know and they're kind yeah. of yeah. creating their own what it means to be Nigerian so I think it's from mm-hmm. I can only have this perspective from the outside looking in, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Uh, question for you, Nancy. Yika, oh, over here, by the way. Um, so when you would go back to Nigeria, were you going back to, like, your hometown? Or were you going to Lagos or Abuja or any of those things? So we would go to Lagos. So let me just give you the breakdown, right? Okay, so we have <laughs> skipped school early. Okay, we've missed the last two weeks of school. <laughs> we yeah. land in Lagos and we kind of stay in Lagos like for a bit, maybe like a week. And then we go straight to Onitra, right? So, you know, before we, we, before we used to drive and then we decided that, you know, we were doing, you know, big girl, big girl. So we got on a plane um, <laughs> to Enugu and then we used to just drive from there. So I think the majority mm. of like the 10 weeks is spent in Onisha, which, you know, which, which yeah. was brilliant because it just, we have so many stories from there, you know, um, mm-hmm. of, no you know, playing. Ibo. It's so good. <laughs> well, well, I try, you know, I try small, <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, but we, we actually had Ibo lessons. Like our mates were on summer holidays and they were having fun in London and we were in on each other doing Ibo lessons and oh, learning how to count to 10. Like, no, nah, my mom doesn't play. But I think now is when you, now is when you appreciate it, you know. Yeah, you appreciate yeah, yeah, the time you were playing what, you know, and then they took the light. <laughs> And then you guys were using torches to play what, you know. So it's it, it, it's all forms a part of kind of, you know, who I am and how I see where I'm from now. Yeah. yeah. Wow. The reason why I asked that question was because, I mean, being an evil person myself, mm. this whole idea of, you know, Christmas migration or just mm. the migration in general of evil people from wherever it is that they are to, you know, their hometowns. 
just almost in some way like fosters this sense of like I'm an evil person mm. like there's no doubt like I'm an evil person like mm. my dad would say that all the time you are going back to where we are from like, <laughs> okay we yeah. get it this time and the time before that and mm. yeah so that's really nice. Mm. yeah I think that's a very good point I think I've always known like the whole where are you from I've known to say I'm from Anambra State, from a place called Nanka. Like my mom's from Osina and that's Imo State. Like I've known that as, you know, it's, it's like saying, where do you live in London? You know? Mm. So for me, like when I was three, I was, I knew precisely where I was from in Nigeria. And I think like the mm. point that you make is, is a very, very good point as well. Mm. So um, does it, I have one last question and then we'll wrap things up. So, I know that you're a huge reader. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, yeah. I was wondering what books have you read that you feel like you've seen yourself and identity like properly reflected in if or at all reflected in? Um, so definitely kind of like Chimamanda I feel like every time I come here and they ask me about books I just say Chimamanda yeah. and I just really want to it is be, what it is I, you know I want to <laughs> say something else but I have to say her because she is she is absolutely bae and I think that that was my first introduction to something called African literature when I was reading and suddenly a word was in Ibo right meaning that mm-hmm. she knew she knew that she wanted to be widely read. She knew that there's people in Singapore reading her books, but she still felt mm. it necessary to put one word in Ibo, meaning that although she wants everyone to read it, it's like she's it's like she's dropping secret gems for people who can understand the language, you know? Mm. And for me that that made that book feel like it was mine, feel like it was Nancy's book, you know? Mm. To the extent that I could I could engage with it on a level that, you know, that I couldn't engage with other other books. So definitely, mm. I'd say Half of the Yellow Sun. For me, I read that when I was 14. That was really kind of, it played a very pivotal part in, you know, how I identified myself as a, as a Nigerian. But um, mm. also kind of Americana is just, oh my gosh, it is everything mm. to me. So, so yeah, but to my mind, I would say. Nice. That was the last question I have. Does anybody have any last question, thoughts? What's What's next for Nancy? What's next for Frida? What should we keep an eye? Well, maybe is that a question to ask at this juncture, if anyone? <laughs> so, yeah, right? yeah. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Yes. Okay. Uh, cool. So, what's next for Frida? So, it's basically just just growing and just basically trying to get as big a community as we can get trying to be consistent with posting really exceptional short stories, not only from the beautiful Nigeria, but from Mm -hmm. across the African continent. I think that's a big focus for us. And also just this focus on this idea of traveling through stories. So enabling, you know, Africans, people from across the diaspora and within the continent to kind of really engage with other countries, um, not just, you know, their countries of birth or their countries that they identify with. I think that's you know, really important. So you can expect kind of, you know, focus on stories, but also, you know, a little a little bit of playing around with the idea of stories and the fact that it doesn't necessarily have to be in a written form. Mm. Yeah. Snaps That's it really up. Neat. I know, it's really <laughs> neat. Cool. <Yeah>. Thank you, guys. <laughs> yeah, so Nancy, one thing we do on every episode is we talk about the books 
you know, what book we're reading, what music we're listening to, what show we're watching. Um, and it's just a nice way of wrapping up each episode. So yeah. do you have, I mean, you don't have to go first, but I can open this up to everybody else. Okay, I can go first, I don't mind. So the book that I'm currently reading is What It Means When a Man Falls from the Sky. And that is written oh, by... Girl. Oh, girl. Sorry, finish, sorry. Girl. <laughs> sorry, finish. Let me let you finish. Girl. I'm going to let you finish. It is written by a woman called Leslie Ineka Arima. And I think my theory is that she's not human, that she is a spirit <laughs> who was sent to live amongst us, okay? okay? I don't I don't understand, I don't understand how talented this woman is. And like, she just mm. basically took everything you think you know about storytelling and she literally just threw it out the window, you know? Oh, wow. This, mm-hmm. it's a short story collection. It's like nothing, and I read a lot. It's like nothing I've ever read before, you know? So I would... Mm-hmm. Highly recommend it if anyone's looking for a new read. Um, and currently listening to a guy called James Blake. I don't know if anyone's heard mm-hmm. of him. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, cool. And so, yeah, so just like replaying his album, uh, The Colour in Anything. So, yeah, that's me. This is Amayo. I'm currently listening to really old music that came out in 20... Well, not really old, but came out in 2015. I don't know why, but that's what I've been listening to. And I'm currently reading a book called, um, it's called Men, Women, and the Mystery of Love. I'm almost done with it. And it's, mm. it's, it's amazing. It's just, it's everything that you need to read um, if you're dating or interested in dating and getting married at some point. Which sounds really whack, but it's mm. actually amazing. Okay, uh, Yeka O over here. I am currently listening to um, a lot of gospel trap. Um, yes. <laughs> and, Way uh, to let your extracurriculars overlap. Woo! Wow, okay. Oh my god. Don't even know how to respond to that comment. But so yeah, yeah, I'm doing that, and I'm also watching Skinny Girl in Transit. Woo. So oh, excited yes. that it's back. Um, yes. If I get it together and. This is Ife. I am watching. I just finished watching season. Is this season three or four? The latest season of Transparent. Yeah, Transparent is Mm. an Amazon original show, and it follows like a family um, where their where one of their parents transitions into a, a different gender so she is now a woman she was a you know she was a she was born she was assigned male at birth and she transitioned into a woman later in life in like her 60s or something so it's essentially like following that her story and how her family um reacts to that and they're like different individual stories it's a really good show it's like it's funny it's very makes you think about sexuality and gender and it just like yeah it's it's good it's good it's good it's a good show and this season has been um about like finding your roots so the family goes back to israel because they're jewish and it really explores the complicated place that is israel palestine you know that it doesn't look at israel through rose tinted glasses it's really like talks about the occupation of Palestinian land and you know how they engage with it and all of that so yeah it's good I recommend it 
Yay. Yeah. And this is this is Ifeoa and I just finished reading reading um a nonfiction book called A Moonless Starless Sky by Alexis Okeowo. And it was okay. <laughs> um, so essentially the premise is um, she's covering ordinary women and men fighting extremism in Africa. And the book is divided into two parts. And in each part, it follows um, each like chapter is set in Nigeria, Mauritania, Uganda, and Somalia. Um, and so it's what I will say is the stories that she covers are really compelling. The way she writes is, isn't compelling. Um, it's very basic is the way I would describe very, very simplified (laughs) and very, very simplified. I hear like basic bitch, like, you know, sorry, sorry, sorry. I said when I when I hear basic, I hear like you know, stereotypical yeah, oh, pump, oh, pumpkin yeah, spice, yeah, yeah. loving, like yeah, basic. no. <laughs> well, I mean basic in the sense that it's nothing out of this. It's not mind blowing writing. It's not like because sometimes I would describe prose as like, oh, this way she writes is beautiful. The way this person writes, it's so you know, it's different. Is experimental. This writing is just. It's like, this is a boy. This is a table. That's kind of the way the writing reads to me. Um, But what the, but like I said, the stories are very compelling, but I just didn't feel moved by the way she wrote. Um, And then the way she broke up the stories was very confusing. Like I said, there are two parts. The book is broken up into two parts, but like in the first part, there's a chapter on Mauritania, Uganda, blah, blah, blah. And then in the second part, it continues the stories from the first part. But it's like, why would you... It just didn't have... I didn't understand why she did that. Because by the time I got to the second part, I'd already forgotten some details about the chapter on Uganda that she's continuing in the second part. If that oh makes sense. Goodness. So, but I mean, I will say... I mean, I would still say people should read it because if you literally don't read anything, um, you know, either outside your comfort zone or nonfiction or anything about, you know, what's going on in different African countries. And she does give a little history and background. So it's, you know, you're learning something. So for that reason, I would say, yeah, you can pick it up. Um, and one musician that I really want to shout out is Michael Kiwanuka. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, he is, his parents are Ugandan and I believe he's based in London now, but his song, his music is just really soulful, and I love his latest album, Love and Hate. And so I would recommend that album to anyone who really wants to hear like soulful music. Oh. Yeah, so that's our episode for today. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And Woo-hoo. special shout out to Nancy for being here and Thank joining you. us. And Thank you, guys. Giving us all the gems. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Yeah, we appreciate it. So thank you, everyone. Also, before yeah. we leave, happy Independence Day, Nigeria. Happy Woo! Independence Day. this is going to be released, you know, two weeks after <laughs> Independence Day. <laughs> guys, you guys need to edit. Edit all the nonsense that I said, please. <laughs> oh, I think I'm going to edit. Please. All right, guys. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>